Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is episode number 1152 with Katie Milkman. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Jack Canfield said, if you get clear on what you want, the how will be taken care of. And Stephen Richards said, the true measure of success is how many times you can bounce back from failure. I'm excited because this is part two with Katie Milkman, who is an award-winning behavioral scientist and professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And she hosts a popular behavioral economics podcast called Choiceology. And she's the co-founder and co-director of the Behavior Change for Good Initiative. Her research is regularly featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and NPR. And in this interview, we dive into the sum of the research of her new book, How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Such a powerful interview that I made it into two parts. And you can listen to the first part by going to the previous episode or to lewishouse.com slash 1151. In the first part, we talked about the biggest internal barriers holding you back, the science of believing in yourself, why setting big goals is actually hurting your ability to succeed and why you shouldn't do this, which I thought was interesting because it's something I've always done, and commitment devices and how they lead you to a better life. And in this episode, we discuss the number one thing we need to know about changing ourselves for the better, what science says about how to prioritize your goals, making pledges and why they're the key to accountability, how to temptation bundle and why this skill is so important for creating new habits, why we need to be more flexible with our goals and so much more. And again, if you're enjoying this at any moment, please spread the message of greatness to a friend, text someone, post it over on social media and subscribe to the School of Greatness here on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as well as leave us a review of the part you enjoyed the most. And I want to give a shout out to one of the fans of the week. This is from Care Bear Joy, who said, I'm so grateful to have stumbled upon your channel and podcast after seeing your interview with Marissa Peer. The greatness you are sharing is a great reminder to never give up. And for that, I'm truly grateful. Again, big thank you, Care Bear Joy, for your review over on Apple Podcast. And would love to see more of your reviews out there. So let us know for your chance to be featured as a fan of the week. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Katie Milkman. What would you say is the number one thing we need to know about changing our behavior for the better? That is a big question. I, I think the number one thing is like a high-level thing as yes. opposed to a tactic. Yes. And that high-level thing is really what I built my book around. Um, and that is the importance of not just sort of taking any of these different tactics mm. off the shelf willy-nilly that we've been talking about, but trying to figure out what are the barriers for you and, mm. and match the tools that you put together to build your, your strategy to what's holding you back? So if you're struggling with, I, I just dread doing this activity, mm-hmm. then find a way to make it fun. If you don't believe you can, then you need a new social structure and, and mm. set of supports. And, and like you're going to, maybe everybody can benefit a bit from all of these things. If you're right. procrastinating, create a commitment device, like find yourself if you put it off any longer so that you'll no longer consider doing that. So what is the barrier? Mm. And then make sure you double down on creating the structures that will be relevant to it. Because everything we've talked about is good. It's all useful Depends on what average. You need. That's what you're going to get the most out of. So how do we create an assessment for ourselves to see what we need the most of. Maybe we feel like we're, you're not procrastinating, but actually we are procrastinating. Maybe we feel like we're a confident person, but actually lack confidence. Or maybe you feel like you're not lazy, but actually you are. Like how do we, what's the assessment? What's the list of questions to ask ourselves or just things to be aware of so that we know, okay, I need to dive into like the confidence problem and start applying these things. Or I need the commitment devices 
Yeah, you're like, and you've got the, my book's chapters are organized, and you've got them open in front of you. And I organize the book very intentionally around sort of these are the different barriers, and here's what all the science says about mm-hmm. how to overcome them. And so we've gone, we've been jumping around across chapters. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is really wonderful about this particular topic is that I don't think there's as much self-deception here as there is in other domains. I think it's easier to diagnose just from a very simple understanding mm. of what the barriers are. Almost like if you look at the cha- the table of contents in my book, right. you'll see yourself in it or read a couple, you know, a page and you'll understand like, what do I mean by laziness? I mean, like you're taking the path of last, least resistance. You tend to fall back on habits. Okay, if that if it's like bad habits that are really getting in your way, then here's the set of strategies. So. I don't mm. think there's as much self-deception. I think it's fairly straightforward it's and people straight. will you'll, see you'll themselves see it, yeah. quickly and what's, their what's, own challenges. What's the biggest thing you want to change in your life right now? <sighs> oh my God, I have to choose the biggest. There's so many. Oh, I, I do a lot of me search, by the way. Like this whole career, a lot of it like came from realizing that I wasn't optimizing in my own life and that I, I, there were hacks and scientific strategies that could be applied to improve. And I, I'm constantly, anyway, I think there's sort of like two categories of scientists who study this stuff, the superhumans, and they are out there who uh-huh. are like so self-controlled and amazing. And they look around at like all the little ants around them and they're like, what, what's wrong with you? This is so peculiar. Let me study it. And then there's the other group, which I fall into, which is the people who are sort of like, God, I'm, I'm a mess. <laughs> Let me improve myself. Yes. What's the solution? Yeah, like let's find scientific. So I'm the messy category. <laughs> um, right now, I think the thing that I am struggling with most is work-life balance. And it's been a really tough year on that for so many reasons. I have a, um, I have a five-year-old who was out of school for a mm. long time and needed to, he was doing homeschool pre-K, which, you know, over Zoom goes about as well as it's every five minutes. It's think. like, oh, get back on there, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. It's about as tough as as anyone would imagine. Zoom pre K. Um, so that was tough. And then um, I had this book that I wrote and was really, you know, I put so much of myself into, uh-huh. and that was a tug. And then I do research primarily about health behavior change. And in the last year and a half, and your health struggling. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we've needed some health behavior change yeah, in yeah. the world as the global pandemic struck. I've studied um, vaccines and encouraging people to take vaccines, and I felt like there was more need for my expertise than ever before, and that I I wanted to give as much as I could. And I have lost work work life balance to some degree. Like you know, many late nights at the computer mm-hmm. instead of stepping back. Um, many missed, like, you know, outings with family sure. because this is so important. I have to do this now. Your mission is important. You're yeah. Still, yeah. But there has to be a balance. And so that, so I what, think, is the biggest thing I'm trying to change. What would you fall into then? Which category would you want? Procrastination. Procrastination towards spending more time it's taking back- care of your health and being with family and downtime. So procrastinating, being lazy. Not that way, but yeah. Yeah, but it's where we all have our own. Relaxing. I, I've talked about the idea of wants and shoulds. Yes. Um, so wants being like the things that provide us with uh, sort of more the instant hit of um, gratification and shoulds being the things that are good for us in the long run. But they're not always candy and, right. and salad, right? Yeah. Sometimes some of us get mixed up on those wants and shoulds. And for me, the want this year has always been like, oh, I, I feel like I, I have this mission and it has overtaken some of the things that are really important and really should be at the center you know having a five-year-old having a family and making sure that that's a priority so um having more balance is my biggest challenge right now so the procrastination problem is that what it is (laughs) what would you what in that chapter on the procrastination problem what tool should you be looking at more and how should you be applying that tool from the moment you leave this interview for the next couple of months, how could you integrate that tool into your life? I think uh, accountability and commitment are some mm. of the things that are probably the most powerful here. So um, one of the studies that I talk about in that chapter has to do with pledges and the power of doctors who were overprescribing um, unnecessary antibiotics to their patients ended up doing that less so when they put a a formal pledge up in their office saying, you know, when you come in, you've got a stuffy nose and you're begging me for your antibiotic. I don't do that. It's not recommended by the, you know, by, uh, by best practice. And I follow best practice. This is not what I should be doing. Um, That pledge reduced that dramatically. I think sort of pledges. Mm. um, My partner is someone who I can 
have holding me accountable, setting hours and sort of planning around what what are those hours and what are they going to be um, allocated to? Like, am I really going to work on Friday and Saturday night until 11 p.m. instead of taking time for myself and my family? Uh, those are the kinds of tools and sort of I've already instituted this in part because of these issues. Like my phone goes away during dinner with my family. Mm, When we're out doing activities, it needs to be away because otherwise I'll be tempted to check and see, oh, you know, is there something coming up from work that I should be responding to? So it is a little bit backwards, but the tools apply whether or not uh, the things that are tugging you in the wrong direction are pizza and junk food or work. Right. So what is, uh, have you already been implementing all these things or is it something you need to... I'm implementing some of them, Ah. but not as many. We're actually, I'm about to have a fresh start. So uh, Friday, tomorrow is a Friday. And then I go on a vacation with my family for a week, which I'm really looking forward to. haven't had a vacation in I don't know how long. I just had one two weeks ago. And I don't know, it was like, I can't remember last time. Years? Five years? (laughs) It feels like years. Also, pandemic stretches out. Time taffy. You know something I did that was an incredible... I don't know if this is possible for you, but this is probably four or five years ago. I was like, I really feel like I need to get away on a vacation. And I realized at the time, for 15 years of my life, because I got a cell phone when I was 17 uh, or 16 or something, for 15 years of my life, I had my cell phone on me every single day. Like, there was never a day I didn't have my phone near me at some point. Like, I checked it every day. And I was like, that just doesn't feel right. Like to always, to always at least one point in the day, I touched my cell phone for 15 years. And I said, what's the thing that scares me that I think could help a reset? And, uh, and my producer at the time, Christine, she was like, I was like, I'm going to go to Hawaii. And what I'm going to do, I'm just going to leave the phone in the hotel room when I go out. And she was like, what would it look like if you didn't take your phone or computer with you on the plane? And I was like, I don't even know if I could do that. But I actually ended up doing that for five or six days, left all electronics at home. And it was the scariest thing the first day. But then it was like freedom. Freeing. It's amazing. It felt incredible. That's how I take vacations too. Really? You leave all the stuff at home? I I don't bring a computer. I I normally do bring my phone. But it's like stored away in the safe. Stored away in the safe and I take email off of it. So like, you know. Social media and email or whatever. Right. All the things that would be a a drag, they're gone. It's just a phone. It's just a phone. It's just that call me and that's it. Yeah. 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 So no, I think that's absolutely critical. And that's a commitment device, right? Mm-hmm. You've put constraints uh-huh. on your own access to things that would tug you into a place that's not good. You'd be tempted to do this thing that's not good for you. You've created a commitment device when you... Um, Interesting. Right? And it, it is weird. Like, you are constraining access to tools that you normally value. That is a very weird thing if you sort of step back and think about it. But it helps. And, and there's a lot of ways we can create constraints that help us achieve more. What about non-negotiables? Like creating a non-negotiable, like every, like for dinner, uh, non-negotiables, I put my phone away. Or on Friday at 6 o'clock, I turn my phone off for the weekend. Totally. Is that something that is works in this or is that? Absolutely. It absolutely works in this. That's a kind of commitment device. Sort of the non That is a commitment device. Those are boundaries, rules, okay. constraints. And um, I've got it down, down for dinner. I mostly have it down during the day on weekends. I, my meal, real remaining problem is like late nights once my son is in bed. And <laughs> After I, dinner, you're back of working until yeah. midnight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that, those are things I'm working on. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> what are you working on? Oh, man. What am I working on right now? I think I put a lot on my plate. I have a lot of big goals and big dreams and aspirations with my mission in terms of the people we want to reach and impact with the business, business goals, building the team, financial goals with my health. And like, okay, you know, I was training with the USA national team for the last nine years to try to make the Olympics and team handball. And that's just a big time commitment to now it's like, okay, I'm taking on the marathon and then being in intimate relationships and wanting to spend quality time with, you know, people and having friendships and just travel. It's just so many. Wanted to write a book that I was talking about. It's like, well, it's okay. A lot of the big goals and seeing like, how can I continue to not limit myself? So expanding the plate in which I can add things to it, but also feel a sense of peace and balance with the expansiveness. So what does that look like? Empowering teams or maybe letting go of certain things that aren't as important and focusing on the other things. 
having seasons of my life where, okay, for the next three months, I'm not going to do this and this because I'm going to go all in on these two things, but I can come back to it in three months um, and trying to manage that process. Yeah, so. And it's like, you know, I'm also taking Spanish lessons three days a week because I want to be fluent in Spanish. It's like all the things I'm trying to do. You sound like a workaholic too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a passionate human that wants to develop more skills to serve the world better. And, and also, you know, being in therapy and learning about myself more and healing and all this stuff. It's like I want to do a lot. So it's figuring out how to manage it all while not like letting people down or upsetting people and, you know. Yeah. Just all of it. Yeah. So the, cha- the opportunity is how do I continue to set up structure, accountability, schedule, um, and, and also eliminate things that aren't important for me to do in my business. Like, okay, why am I holding on to doing these tasks that I don't need to be doing? So it's kind of like eliminating tasks that aren't as meaningful for my skills by bringing in other people to support with that, letting go of things that I've maybe done for years that have helped me get here but won't help me get there. You know what I mean? It's kind of letting go of those things that you've been used to doing, that I've been used to doing, and that I'm good at, so I don't need to do anymore. Yeah. So it's constantly in that, like... Moving from uh, sous chef to master chef. Right, exactly. Where it's not like, well, I'm so used to writing all my social media and so used to replying to comments and all my emails, but it's like, I don't need to do that. I should be more strategic thinking and creating the menu or whatever, you know, (laughs) not like doing this like pounding the fish and like making the rice or something you know so and thank you for sticking with you know mine. what i mean i'm sticking with your analogy here yeah so <laughs> making the miso soup or whatever it is yeah um so it's it's eliminating certain tasks and doing the bigger strategic things only the things that i could do like yeah i should focus on being a great interviewer and like building the relationships with the guests and making it a great episode i shouldn't be doing everything else around it it's it, you know it's I mean? a really interesting point, and we haven't talked about this yet, but I love that you took us into sort of prioritization and how many things at once. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the most interesting studies that's been done on planning, and, and like we talked about if-then plans earlier uh, in the last decade, I think was a study that showed if you actually make too many if-then plans, and too many is like two plus, it's harmful. Give because, me an example again of an if-then plan. So it's like, you know... Uh, well, it's just mapping out the details, really, yes. of how you're going to get, you know, with the marathon. Like, what am I going to do when each for, for this goal on each day of the week? Um, when you start doing that for a bunch of goals, you sit down and do them all at once. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. It's and much. you get demotivated. It's too much. And I actually, you talked about the seasons of your life, which I think is a beautiful way of describing one of the strategies that can get around this problem mm-hmm. um, that, that has been pointed to. And that is, like, you know, one at a time do the planning. Yes. And then we talked about routines and putting things sort of on autopilot, like Spanish lessons. Probably at some point you had to sit down and make a plan, like, how am I going to become fluent at Spanish? Exactly. And but- I schedule it at 8 a.m. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And it's like, I've got it scheduled. I paid for the teacher in advance. So I put, the, I put the money in. <laughs> I got it scheduled on my calendar for the whole year or for seasons of time. I yeah. actually might take like the month off because now I'm doing marathon training and I'm like, can well, you that's do gonna everything be done. Well, that's <laughs> right. gonna be done. Well, then I gotta get six thirty a.m. and can I transition fast enough? Probably not. And okay. also do two interviews a day, and have energy and focus and clarity, and want to have a dinner two nights a week with friends. Like, maybe not. Yeah. So it's like okay. So sometimes you deprioritize. I was actually so, gonna yeah. say you like had it set up and then you could move to sort of add the next thing, right. but once you've already got that going. But it's also really great to know when you have to take it off. And yes. then you know how to come back to it, and it'll probably be easier to start exactly. up again because you've got the plan. And I know this would be done in November. So it's like, okay, the marathon's over in November. It's three months. It's a season. I look at my life in seasons always since I played sports. I couldn't play football and basketball at the same time. You've got to be all in on that sport for that season. Now, I did do track and baseball in the same season one time. It was very challenging. I would run track meets and then I would go pitch in baseball games and just pitch games my, my uh, junior year in high school. And it was doable, but I wasn't All at in. the highest level at either one. I yeah. was good. I was effective, but I wasn't the best I could be at either one. And that's why I also like, okay, I'm going to be doing this marathon. Something I need to schedule, create new time somewhere else or let go of something for the next three months. 
or do it less, something like that, and know that I'm not going to be able to give my best potentially so that I can at least not kill myself in a marathon. You know, it's like, so that's the way I look at it. And, and there's, in, in, in sports, inside of a season, there is typically a preseason, the season, the playoffs, and then the postseason. And the postseason is always a time to reflect, do I want to do this next year? Do I want to retire from this? What are my goals for next year? How am I going to train to prepare for the preseason and then the season? And I think that's always a good time as well just to take that time, whether that's the holidays where you take time to reflect on the next year, the fresh start, to see what are my goals again. And there's lots of fresh starts in sports, and I think Absolutely, it's no accident, yeah. right? Including like, you know, and then your season to date statistics reset, like so Absolutely. many things that give you the chance to have that clean slate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting hearing you talk also about the two. I was a tennis player, mm-hmm. which comes up a fair amount in the book because there's a lot of lessons from, from yeah. that sport that have shaped my research. Um, but I also found it hard to be all in on multiple things. I played very seriously and played Division One, but I actually quit tennis about halfway through college when I realized I wanted to be an academic. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And it was just too many competing pressures to do. I I could do school well, well enough, you know, to get good grades. But when I realized that's what I wanted to commit my life to, I didn't want to have a second priority of, you know, playing division one sports. Where did you play again? At Princeton. Princeton, wow. Not, you know, not still Stanford, competitive. Not Stanford. Yeah, yeah, you know? still competitive. It was a serious. one is still competitive. Yeah, no, it was a serious. It was a serious, you know. And it thing. takes, <laughs> and you can't compete at Division One level with an hour and a half of training a day. You right. can't. No, no, can't. you know, many, many hours a day. It's a huge commitment, right? Like yes. Taking certain kinds of classes that meet in the afternoon wasn't really feasible. And to do it all well, if you mm. want to really excel at everything, I found at the very highest level, to me, I wanted more focus. Yes. Or it's like, okay, I'm going to be an elite tennis player. I'm going to be elite in academics and have no friends and family. Right. That's right. Like something had to go. And I wanted to, I also, it's a good point. I also wanted to have a social life. So I could have crossed that out and I could have done it all. And I think you could do that. Like when I was in college, I really didn't have much of a social life. I didn't, I didn't have one sip of alcohol. I didn't do any drugs. I didn't do anything because I was so committed to obsessing over sports. I should say I had, I had more of a social life than I had an academic life because I didn't put any energy into academics. I was like, 
I'm not that good at this. I don't care about school. I care about, you know, girls and sports was like kind of the main thing when you're in college, right? And that was like, okay, let me go all in. For me, those were the main (laughs) things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it was like obsessive over the goal. And I had to put so much energy and thought. I would go to sleep for about 45 minutes to an hour before every night I would watch videos of the greatest athletes in that sport. Uh, and then I did a, did a cathlon my senior year and I would just watch pole vault videos over and over again and visualize myself at night before going to bed of me being able to look and have the form of these other athletes going upside down and over the pole. And I'm just obsessed about it. You know, it's but like... You have to put your whole self to. into that, right? And that's the seasons. I and think I knew it was a nice. season. I was like, okay, the national championships is six months away. That's the goal. I got to qualify for that. And so I got obsessed until I... Otherwise, then it's done. I'm graduating school. So I think we got to look at our life like that in the seasons as well. And really, I, I love the research behind the accountability and the commitment, the pledges. I think that's a really cool idea. How could we apply pledging in our, you know, life around... A relationship, your finances, or your health? Well, I mean, actually, interestingly, society is already set up with a lot of pledges involved in relationships without, you know, us even getting involved, right? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm engaged, I'm getting married, this is my boyfriend, <laughs> right. I'm not single anymore. Right, we're yeah. talking about, you know, sunk costs, wedding rings, right. these things are all right. related, right? It's And it's interesting that these structures have bubbled up, even though the research that sort of proves how effective they are came decades, hundreds of years later in many cases. Really? Um, but, you know, a lot of the things that exist that help us be true to each other, um, or you know, even if you think about taking professional pledges when you become a doctor, the Hippocratic Oath, a lot of these kinds of pledges, they're already there. But, but one thing the research points to is, um, can we build more of them? And, and how can we use them and how can we create ways that even when there isn't a structure, right, even you know, maybe you're not going to get engaged to your coach uh, in this, you know, marathon because that's not a thing in marathons. But is there some is there something from that right. idea that you right. can build? Like, can you commit or pledge to each other in some way that will make um, your commitment to each other more meaningful and yes. more powerful? So anyway, it, it is interesting to see how society and um, has already built some of this in and then think, can we take inspiration from it and from the research to build more of it in other places? Right. Um, can you talk to me about temptation bundling and what yes. temptation bundling is and how we can utilize it for our lives? Yes. This is the very first bit of me search I did. <laughs> me search. I like it. This is it. my me search. Um, so, okay, this idea came and then it sort of. I got to this field later. I was a graduate student actually getting a PhD in computer science and business. Um, which was, a you know, the classwork was not that fun, I will admit. No. And I wasn't, that, there were a lot of classes I had to take that were tough, a lot of problem sets. And I was exhausted when I would come home, like focused, so focused all day and like trying to understand what everybody was saying and make sense of all these different, to me it was almost like a different language uh, to, to think that way. So I'd come home, I was tired, I didn't want to pick up my problem sets and get the work done. All I wanted to do was what any sane person wanted to do, like curl up on the couch watch and binge TV. watch TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like any reasonable human. I was I was also a former athlete and like be, feeling physically healthy yes. and active was important to me for you know identity, mental health, physical health. But I couldn't drag myself to go to the gym, which I also knew I needed to be doing because I was just so drained. And I realized there was a way maybe I could solve those problems all at once. What I started doing, and I'm certainly not the only person who had come up with this solution, but I might be the only person who's named it and studied it, uh, <laughs> is I, I decided I was only going to let myself enjoy indulgent entertainment while I was exercising at the gym. Right. So if I really want to watch the Kardashians, I need to be on a treadmill or doing it here where I can enjoy it while moving my body. You got it. So gotcha. for me, I, it turns out, I'm, I've already admitted I'm a nerd, so no one's going to be surprised to hear this. Uh, and also, like, I can only handle so much sensory input. So I did it with audio novels. Yes. I couldn't do, TV was, like, too much. I couldn't follow the characters and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, you know, James Patterson, Alex sure, Cross sure. style, actually Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. And, and like, Voldemort, what's going to happen next? So I would only let myself listen to those books at the gym. And I would find myself then coming home from this long day of classes, 
craving a trip to the excited. gym. Excited. Yeah. So excited. What's going to happen to Alex Cross next? Is he going to get, you know, is he going to escape? Is he going to get the bad guy? And then I get to the gym. Time would fly while I was yeah. there because the workout isn't painful. It's fun. I didn't even notice. Sometimes I worked out too long because wow. I wanted to hear what happens next. And then I come back when I'm done. I'm refreshed. I'm rejuvenated. I've had my break. I was ready to dive into my classwork. And I turned around, you know, my grades <laughs> improved a lot, thank goodness, because I was having a tough time there for a little while in grad school. And and it was just all better because I had figured out by linking a chore with a temptation, I could make it fun. And we already talked about the importance of making it fun for persistence. This is just a tactic for doing that. So I've since done research showing I'm not... I'm not that weird. A lot of my research is like, oh, look, I'm not weird. It works for other people, too. So we ran large randomized controlled trials and showed that teaching people to temptation bundle, giving them temptations to hook with a a chore improves outcomes in terms of exercise. Mm. We can think about porting it to other places like only listen to this podcast if it's somebody who loves your podcast while you're, you know, cooking your family a homemade meal. Or while you're catching up on household chores or while you're going for a run, what is the thing that uh, you sometimes don't do, put off because it's not instantly gratifying? Can you link something you love with it? Mm -hmm. A snack you only let yourself pick up when you're heading to hit the books. Um, Social. Make it social can be a way to make something fun, right? right? As that can be the temptation bundle. I only get to see my best friend when we're going for neighborhood walks and getting in our that's cool. um, our morning exercise, right? Like what what and we'll gossip only at that time. That's where we'll reserve the gossip for the exercise walk. So what are the ways that you right. can find something that you love? Hook the it guilty to pleasures with a healthy habit. You got it. When is the best time to to start a new habit? Yeah, this comes back, I think, to what we were talking about with fresh starts and these chapter breaks. And um, so psychologically, those break points are a great time for starting something new because we have that renewed enthusiasm, optimism, the ability to say, okay, yeah, yeah I couldn't do it last time, but I, I can be optimistic now because I've turned the page on a new chapter. But actually, another thing that can help beyond just that psychological chapter break is a physical change, mm. especially if a habit that that's not such a good one has been um, associated with a, a place or location. Um, so like you went through a breakup and you were living with the person for a year or two or 10 years. It's actually moving into a new physical location and kind of creating a new environment and fresh started by physically moving. Is that what you mean? Totally. And um, and that that's going to sort of any of the things that had you in a rut mm. uh, that you want to you know, sort of rip away, it's going to be easier to pull them apart. I I think the easiest example would be like, say you have a habit of um, picking up a Dunkin' Donuts on the way to work every morning, like, you know, three donuts. And then you realize like, that's maybe not great for me or even one. (laughs) Maybe not great for you. Sorry if that's news to anyone. Um, So you want to break that habit. If, If you're like moving to a new job, you are literally not going to walk by the same Dunkin' Donuts on the way to work. Right. Or if so, you take a different route. If you take a different route, you can yes. give yourself a fresh start. Mm-hmm. But so, so you can create changes that make it easier to break habits if you move out of living with, right? So just think about how, this is an insane example, but you're in a relationship with someone. It's not working out. You could imagine you don't move out. You just say like, well, we'll cohabitate and, and we'll like move into different rooms. That would be a terrible idea. Terrible. Terrible idea, right? And like that's part of though the thing that we do when we're trying to change other habits is basically like still living with the with the environment that was holding us back. Right. So thinking about are there breaks in the environment that can help shape change um, is great. And there's this research by Wendy Wood showing that when people, college transfer students, um, when they're transferring to a new college uh, in a totally new community versus just like basically going to a different, you know, they're still living in the same environment with the same mm-hmm. habits and friends and just going to a different, you know, I used to go to this college down this street, now I'm going to that college. Right. Um, the more disruption there was to your environment, the more that, that habit disruption came along with it. And people were able to build better and different exercise routines. And really, like improvement in, in change would happen. Right. When you, more easily when there's that shift. The in, drastic change, the drastic physical change, the environment change. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. So moving like in a different state or a different climate or a different just like all around environment will help you shift or, those. Or a different job, um, gotcha. a different set of so you know place you hang out. Whatever it is, the physical change can actually sort of help 
in addition to that fresh start yeah. psychological change cool. is what I think the research this, points to. And this is Wendy Wood's research that you're talking about, right? Yes. Sounds like someone I should interview. You should interview Wendy Wood. She's okay. amazing. She's down well? the street. Yes. Oh, she's here. Everybody I've talked about. Oh, it. One of the things that's really her. fun about behavioral science is we have this um, I co-direct this initiative with Angela Duckworth called the Behavior Change for Good Initiative. We have 150 scientists in our network around mm. the world who all study behavior change and have like you know their different areas of expertise. Wendy is Adam and Ethan are in there too. I think exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think exactly. Adam, uh, Ethan told me about this. Yeah. Yeah. That's Wendy's cool. down the street at U, uh, USC, and she wrote a great book, uh, Good Habits, Bad Habits. I'll have to read that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, what else do we need to know about behavioral change? to support us in accomplishing and achieving our goals. Trying to think besides, of what, besides like, everything in your book. We've covered a lot. We've covered a lot, yes. We've covered a lot of ground. You know, we have we talked about it at a high level, but I want to come back to something we talked about at a high level that I think is one of the most important insights in the book and that is flexibility. Mm. Um and I think we should talk a bit, a bit about flexibility. Maybe we should even talk also a little bit about recovering from failure. Oh, I like this. Yes, let's talk about it. <laughs> okay, so so to talk about flexibility, I'm going to tell you about an experiment mm. that surprised me. And maybe I'll, well, now I've told you it surprised me, so I won't set you up and ask you to guess because you'll know. Okay. I ran this experiment because I thought I knew enough about habits to help people form lasting habits with a tactic Um that ended up not working. <laughs> so it was an experiment I ran at Google. I ran it with John Bashirs of Harvard Business School and a few other collaborators. We wanted to get Googlers to build a lasting exercise habit. So we had 2,500 of them who signed up. They all said, I'm in. I want to build it. It was called the Fresh Start Challenge. It's the beginning of the new year. They're all ready to go to the right. corporate gym more regularly. And we randomly assigned them to different groups. We thought we had a formula for helping them build a lasting habit based on sort of a month program, we were gonna get them to kickstart this habit during this month. Okay, so one group is told, we want to focus you on consistency in your routine. Uh, you tell us the ideal time for you to work out, say they say 7 a.m., we say, great, you're gonna to go to the gym at 7 a.m. as consistently as possible, you'll only be rewarded when you hit the gym right at around 7 a.m., go for it, you're a 7 a.m. workout person for a month. And after a month of this sort of reinforcing that, you're going to have a habit and we're going to let go and we'll see that you keep doing it. Okay. The second group, we say, um, okay, what's your ideal workout time? Let's make your plan. Say this person says 7 a.m. too. And we say, great, 7 a.m. is a good time. Go 7 a.m. sometimes, but we want you to mix it up. Go whenever you want. Just do it, do it a lot for the next month. And when the month is over, we think you'll have a lasting habit. Flexibility is key. We thought the people who we got going consistently, we actually, we thought that was probably better. Consistency is the best way. That's what we do. If you do it consistently thought. every time, every day, you're going to be able to stick this habit. You're going to be a robot. Right. right. You're going to keep going. Yes, a machine. Machine, a machine. machine is better than a robot. Yes. <laughs> so, so we thought that was the, that was the thing to do. Um, both groups in our experiment, you know, ended up going to the gym at the same frequency during this month-long kickoff period, but in different patterns. The, the group that we'd said routine, 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 85% of their workouts are at the same time. The group we'd said flexibility, flexibility, um, only half of their workouts are at that same time. So then we let go. The month where we've been really, you know, holding their hand is over. And what we really care about is who's going afterwards, like who's built a habit that lasts. For the next month, six months, year, whatever. Year, yeah. We're looking at the data and, and we're sure it's the routine people. We analyze the data. It's not. Flexibility. Flexibility. Flexibility is key, not consistency is key. Was, flexibility was key. And we're like, what? What's going on? So we, we dig in, we're analyzing this data. We're like, what's going on? The people who had gone more consistently at their regular time, they did keep going a little bit more often at their their special time. So if you're a 7 a.m. person, you're going a little bit more at 7 a.m. if you were in that rigid group than if you're in the flexible group. But they're rigid. That's the key word. It's almost like if you miss that time, I'm not going at all. That's right. I miss the day. So I'm not going to go at noon or they 5 or 7. They don't go if seven. they miss their 7 a.m. That's it. They're just, they give up on themselves. It's an only under these circumstances kind of habit. The flexible people... They go a tiny bit less at their regular time, but they're, if they miss that time, they have another time. They have a backup plan. They have a backup plan after that. So they're going to the gym more net-net because they've, they've built this flexible strategy like they have their first best, their second best, and their third best. They've built a no matter what habit, if you will. I'm going to do this at midnight if I have to or 11 p.m. Just as long as I get it in. They've I'm learned how yes. to roll with 
the fact that life is not Less consistent. Not perfect, yeah. And so, you know, they have a most regular time, but they also have a next best time and so on instead of an only mm. rigid routine. And I thought this was so interesting to me. And I write about this in the book. It, it brought me back to tennis because, as, and we sort of talked about this a little bit earlier when I was saying flexibility, you never practice a sport only under perfect conditions. Right. Right? Like, I never trained and hit forehands always standing at the baseline perfectly aligned. Like, yeah, you know, I did some of that. sun shining at 78 degrees, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if that's all you do in your training regimen, yeah. you're, you're hosed because that's not what you're going to find in the real yeah, when you're environment. Out, yeah, yeah, when you're out on the court in a real match. You're going to have to be able to run backwards and forwards and you know, have the sun in your eyes at a different yeah. angle. And so it, I think that's what we learned from that. That's so important if we're trying to build good habits, if we're trying to build um, routines that will last, to understand that we need to, okay, have a first best, but have a second best and third best and, and practice being flexible mm-hmm. as we're trying to build up that performance. So you're actually talking about your I, – I think it's, it's different if you're meeting with your Spanish – coach at 8 a.m. every day. There's nothing wrong with that. But probably practicing Spanish and saying, I'm always going to do it at 5 p.m. Right. And otherwise, no matter what, sometimes there's no one holding you accountable. Right. You're not meeting, you know, with your tutor. Sure. So you're going to want to say, like, I'll try for 5 p.m. Right. But I'm going to practice at some point. Yeah. I'm practice at some point. Even if yeah. 5 p.m. falls apart, then I've got my 9 p.m. backup plan. Right, right. Or if life happens and I want to do a dinner at 5 with someone friend and then I can do it afterwards or before. So, it's related to failure. Yeah. Which was the other thing I said we hadn't really? talked about. Because flexibility huh. is about You don't like, fail. Because right. you can shift it. Exactly. Whereas if I have to do it at 7 a.m. and I don't make it and I'm done for the day, I failed. That's interesting. So tell me more about failure. That was the next thing you were going to say, right? I think some of the tech... First of all, I think the thing I want to study most next and sort of uh, that I think is the most important understudied topic in my field is recovery from failure. And that, mm. you know, of course, we've got Carol Dweck thinking about, like, failure is growth. And I'm saying Angela Duckworth thinking about grit. It's not like it isn't studied. I just think there's so much that we need to know because almost inevitably we fail when we're trying to achieve anything ambitious. Okay. And a lot of people don't get back up again. And Why figuring that? that out is Why so Why do important. we not get back up? Because <laughs> it's so defeating or it's deflating or... We told people we were going to do this, and then we let them down, or we let ourselves down, or... All of the above. You know, all of the above. Or we don't have a growth mindset, or, Mm. you know, we we think maybe something else will be easier. Or perfectionists, and so then we procrastinate if it's not perfect, or... There's a million reasons. That's that's one of the challenges, and that's what makes it so hard to solve. Mm. But we know a little bit, and flexibility seems to be one of the key things. You know, having a growth mindset so you can say that failure isn't diagnostic of me, but it's um, an opportunity to grow and learn, and I can get better Mm. and do better the next time. So these are some of the things, but I think we need a lot more. Um, One study I really like, and we're saying I'm talking a lot about exercise studies, even though it's just, you know... part of this world but there's a lot it's like the fruit fly of habits like going to the gym um marissa sharif who is a professor at wharton with me has this really cool research on what she calls emergency reserves i call them mulligans um Mm -hmm. she wanted to go to the she wanted to work out every day so she was doing some research and she realized okay i want to set a tough goal like every day that's good for me but sometimes i'm going to fail and she knew about something else called the what the hell effect Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals, knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. 
And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Well aptly named. When you have a small goal failure, people often throw up their hands and give up and, and then, you know, abandon completely. Small goal failure. Yeah. So like, I'm only going to eat 1,500 calories today. That's my goal. And then I, I see donuts at the in the coffee room. I eat it. And then I'm like, what the hell? And then I have pizza. And everything, yeah. I, yeah, I go crazy. So that's, that's the what the hell effect. Yeah. It was originally studied related to dieting. I'm not saying it's healthy to have those kinds yeah, of goals. Yeah. But anyway, that's where it was studied. So we do this what the hell effect thing all the time. So she was like, how do I balance these two problems if I want to have a tough goal? But if I have a tough goal, I'm going to have some goal failures and I'm going to get what the hell and I'm going to quit. So she came up with this strategy for herself, which she then studied both with productivity and also um, with exercise goals and all different settings for her dissertation work. And the idea was she's going to set that tough goal, but give herself some emergency reserves, some sort of like if you play Monopoly, like the get out of jail free yes, card yes. that you save for the real emergency, but you've got it in your back pocket and then you can declare like everything's okay. I'm going to use this now. So three times a month I can call go with the emergency card like uh, I'm exhausted. I didn't sleep well last night. I um, got too much on my plate today. So these are one of three days that I can say it's okay and I'm not a failure. And it's got to be limited. Right. So it doesn't become like, well, every day well, is an I emergency. Never work out. Yeah, yeah. And she thinks calling it an emergency is important, even though I like to call it a mulligan because mm. you don't want to be tempted yeah. to use it. She says she actually almost never takes it. But she, what she does is she sets like seven days a week goal, but she gets two emergency reserves. She almost never takes them. Each week. Two Each a week. week yeah. Two a week. And then um, she's done this research mm. showing like if you do that kind of structure, right, the seven day a week tough goal, she compares that to what about just a five day a week goal, which is structurally the same as seven days with two get out of jail free cards. Yes. Or you get the seven. Which one's, which one's Seven that? days with the emergency reserves crushes the other two. Just much better performance because um, you're striving for that tough goal, but you don't give up on yourself if you have a miss. And, uh, and so that makes up for, for, you know, that makes it better than everything else. And so I think this is something we can do is like, can we give ourselves a tiny bit of wiggle room? Not so much that we'll wiggle all the time. <laughs> I wonder if this is kind of like, <laughs> this might be a bad analogy. Um, <laughs> it's like knowing if I'm not married, but it's like knowing if you're married and you had like a hall pass or whatever they call it, like where it's like, okay, my celebrity crush, I know I could go do this if I wanted to, but since I have the freedom and flexibility to, I, I actually won't. don't use it. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that research study. I feel like I would have trouble getting the ethics approval. Right. But yeah, I guess, I you guess it's I mean? sort it's of like, like oh, just knowing, knowing it's, you have it's that. within bounds. And that, like, you have some permissiveness. Yeah, I don't know if it, I don't know if the relationship right. analogy perfectly works, but it is the same idea that that um, by knowing you have a fallback, it it can <laughs> it can get you through something that's stressful because you're like, yeah. if it's really an emergency, I could do this. You know, even it's like, okay, I have one cheat meal a week or something, or one day right. eat whatever I want, but I know I could have pizza two nights a week if I wanted to. But then you're like, well. I know, what, I know I could eat it this night but as an emergency, but I know it's coming in three days, so I'll just wait. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's done it looking at productivity, too. Like, you, uh -huh. need, to, you need to do a certain task every day, uh, and your goal to make your big, you know, the most income is if you do it every time. But, you know, if we set different goals and give you different emergency reserves, you can get more productivity from right. the same workforce, from the same individuals, because they feel like, you know, it's not overwhelming. They see the wiggle room and uh -huh. they're able to keep pushing themselves. So having the mulligan method or approach yeah. to your um, recovery from failure strategy is a good strategy is what I hear you say. Yes, yes. I think that understanding and appreciating the value of things like cheat meals, emergency reserves, it lets you forgive yourself. And that's the fundamental thing. Like yes. failures happen. Understand how to forgive yourself. It can be through flexibility, mm -hmm. which we talked about, sort of having the backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan instead of the if only plan. And it can be with these kinds of sort of thinking about how will I give myself a, an emergency reserve or a mulligan so that being prepared for life to throw you curveballs in different ways, yes. I think seems really important to success. How else do we learn how to recover from failure? 
So that we don't, is so the don't great, beat ourselves up. Yeah. Like, I'm a horrible, I'm a loser, I suck, I'm no good, I can never do this because I keep failing over and over again. Yeah. I think a lot of us are in beat-up mode. I think you're right. I think, I think um, besides these structures that we've talked about, I actually think I'm going to go back to social because mm. I think that's another thing mm. that helps with recovering from failures. If you have, if you've built your team and your support structures and, you know, recovering from failure also has to do a lot with confidence Yes. To know that you can get back up and that there is another chance and that it's okay. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that social support can be an important part of recovery as well. It's so interesting you say that. And, and I wanted to bring this up earlier when you were talking about your mentor. Was it named Max? Max Great right? memory, yeah. Um, well, I take a lot of notes, so I try to remember <laughs> that way. Otherwise, I wouldn't. But where you mentioned that he does something really integral where he essentially has you coach someone else or kind of coach yourself in, in the question as opposed to him giving the, the advice. Simon Sinek, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Sure. I was asking him about, because I believe self-doubt is one of the killer of dreams. When we doubt ourselves, it's hard to go after the goals and take the risks and be consistent and all these things, and, and you know, without the belief at least. And I was asking him, what do you think is a great way to, to instill belief in someone who, who doubts himself? And he was like, well, I have a good example. I have this friend of mine who's kind of been down on her luck for many years. She's very talented and smart, but for whatever reason, she wasn't believing in herself. And I would try to tell her I believe in her and you know give her the confidence and say these things, but it just, nothing was working. Then one day I said, you know what? I asked her if she could coach me on something. And she was like, I'm, he was like, I'm actually really struggling with this area of my life and I think you're really smart and talented in this. Can you coach me? And him switching it around from giving her advice to saying, will you coach me on helping me improve this? He saw her confidence go through the roof. And so I think it's pretty cool that your, your mentor does the same with, with you and your, your team of colleagues where it's like, okay, you guys coach each other on how you would solve this problem. And it builds that confidence with each other. So I think it's cool in terms of building confidence is, is we should always be coaching others, even if you feel like you don't believe in yourself. Absolutely. And of course, you know, it's it's this like slightly tricky tightrope to yes. walk in that if you're always coaching others and they don't want it, you're like right, just, right, right. destroying their confidence. That's one of the things I like about this idea of like advice clubs, circles of friends who all want the coaching from each other. They come and solicit it. And they also, um, you know, so they build each other's confidence in multiple ways by saying, hey, I, I'm, you know, I want your advice. I'm soliciting it. I believe in you. And then you get the chance to coach. But also when you're struggling, you can go to them and solicit right. advice. So it's this beautiful circle. And I think it's really related to um, what Simon Sinek was saying. I love this. I'm excited about all these uh, strategies and the research here. I want people to get your book, How to Change, a science of getting from where you are to where you want to be. Make sure you guys get a copy of this book or get a few copies Lots of good strategies um, for change and transformation. Uh, I've got a couple final questions for you. This is called the three truths question. It's a hypothetical scenario. So I'd like you to imagine you get to live as long as you want to live, but for whatever reason, it's your last day on earth. And you've created and accomplished everything you want to create and accomplish in your life. Many years away from now. But for whatever reason, you've got to take all of your work with you or it's got to go somewhere else. All your written work, the audios, the videos, the, the research papers got to go with you somewhere else. Uh, but you get to leave behind on a piece of paper, you get to write down three things you know to be true from all your lessons in life, whether it be from research and academics or just life lessons. The three things you know to be true that you would want to kind of share with the world, and this is all we would have to remember you by are these three truths or three lessons. What would you say would be those for you? Wow. Okay. I mean, I think we've talked, obviously, about a lot of the the biggest truths already. I have to pick three. I think number one would be um, if you want to achieve your potential, if you want to achieve your goals, find a way to make the path to achievement fun. It cannot be painful in the moment. It has to be enjoyable to get Mm. to get there or Mm -hmm. else you're not going to persist and achieve as much. So to me, I think that's number one. Um, Number two is probably about fresh starts. Uh, I think I would want to leave people with the realization that life is full of these moments that give us renewed confidence in Mm. ourselves, renewed motivation, 
um, a sense of a new beginning and a clean slate, and that by looking for them, Mm-hmm. by looking for opportunities to create chapter breaks when things aren't going right, we can get further. I, I believe, you know, I'd like to do even more research on this to prove this in a million different ways, but, um, but what we know already is it's clear. These moments arise. They help us pursue our goals. Yeah. We can call them out and help people achieve more. So the fresh starts are, are there. They're real. They're coming. And they can give us the opportunities we need to, um, to grow. Yeah. And okay. not and and give us that psychological immune system yeah. boost that we need. Um, okay, so make it fun, fresh starts. I think my third comes back to what we just talked about about the importance of um, flexibility. Mm-hmm. That uh, you have to create flexible approaches to achievement. That you cannot be too rigid that rigidity is the enemy of habit mm. and success um, because life throws you curveballs constantly. And, you know, of course, routinization, you know, we all understand that there is sort of a habit loop and when we want to yes. build, but but we have to build it with a recognition of the, the real world and the real constraints we'll face. So I think those are my three. Those are cool. I like those. Uh, I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Katie, before I ask you the final question for... Your commitment to obsessing over this research and figuring out how can I help as many people as possible with the data, with the science, the research studies, and leaving something you loved behind, which is you know sports, to go all in in school and then continue to be in this pursuit for however many years you've been doing this now and making this your life's mission because it's making a lasting impact on a lot of people. One tool that someone can get from this book or this interview could really support someone in overcoming a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of dissatisfaction, of being stuck in something, could prevent them from uh, you know, dying sooner than they need to, from changing a habit or routine, uh, psychologically or physically. So I really acknowledge you for being committed to your mission and, and doing it in a fun way. I appreciate and acknowledge your, your efforts here. And again, I want people to get your book, How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be by Katie Milkman. I think you'll be very inspired, so make sure you check this out. You are also on social media. Which, which platform would you say are you on the most that you... Gosh. That's your, your go-to. <laughs> Twitter. Twitter, I'm okay. I'm on Twitter the most. Katie <laughs> underscore Milkman, right? On yes. Twitter. And you're also Katie Milkman on Instagram and, and uh, Facebook. You can find you there as well. But Twitter is your go-to where you'll be most Lurking. active. Lurking, <laughs> most reactive Posting. and active. Yes, exactly. So if you want to connect with Katie. Re- retweeting. Yeah, if you want to connect with Katie, you'll see a lot of people's comments there. Share this uh, this podcast or the YouTube video over on there and tag her and let her know what you enjoyed most about this. Uh, you've got a podcast as well called Choiceology with Katie Milkman, right? I do. And um, so people can check that out. You can go to katiemilkman.com for all more information about the book and all the different things you're up to as well. Anything else that we should be aware of or supportive for you? Um, For anyone who's really into the academic stuff, uh, I run this initiative with Angela Duckworth called the Behavior Change for Good Initiative. And we put out a lot of research papers. And so that might be another place. People okay. people who want to get into the nerdy stuff. The nerdy data. See the data. Where, that's another where spot. Where is that? If they go to katiemilkman.com, is that there? They'll or? find it or um, bcfg.upenn.edu, University okay. of Pennsylvania. That's cool. another place to find out about our center. we got to get Duckworth on here as well. Yeah. we got to get uh, her on. I've had a few people try to make the connection for that. Um, but I think she's not traveling right now. So she I'm is, to... She's just getting back. Up okay, on the perfect. Road, so so yes, make it happen soon. Now. I'm sure you can find her at a time when she's in LA. Perfect. Um, okay, Katie, final question. What's your definition of greatness? Oh my goodness. That's such a, it's such a good question. Um, I should have prepared for this, huh? I think my, de- my definition of greatness is people who are, uh, there's a North Star. Mm. Uh, something, a purpose and meaning and mission that's driving them forward creates greatness to me. And that's when I see someone who has that clear North Star, that purpose, and they've built their life, created the structures to support it and are sort of 
leaning towards it in all aspects of themselves. To me, that's greatness. And it can be seasonal, so the, the right. North Star can change seasonally, but seeing someone who's really lined up everything because they have that North Star and purpose, um, that's, mm. when I, that's when I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness. Love it. Okay, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. This was really fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share this and spread the message of greatness. This is all about learning implementing and sharing this or teaching this to someone else. So please share this episode and let them know what you enjoyed most about it. Again, if you want to listen to part one, go to lewishouse.com slash 1151 or just go on your podcast platform of choice and click the episode below so you can hear that. Again, leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what part you enjoyed the most or maybe something that surprised you the most that you're going to take action on in your life. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And I want to leave you with a quote from author Shannon L. Adler who said, a life out of balance is a person that doesn't believe happiness can be achieved now or in the future. It is as fleeting as the wind. I want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself, that you're taking care of your life, that you're finding balance when you need to find it. One of the reasons why I continue to do this show after eight and a half years is not sometimes because I need to learn new things, but I need to be reminded of the things I already know and stay accountable to them myself and constantly be in the conversation. You know, sometimes we need to hear the basics over and over again. So we continue to do the right thing to help us in our life. And I love learning new things. I love learning new ideas, hearing new strategies. But sometimes we already know a lot of these things. and We just need to be reminded in a new, fresh way of hearing it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got a lot out of this science and the research here. I loved what I'm learning today. And I want to remind you, if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.